what's happening, everybody. This is Armand Lee, and thank you so much for listening in to this week's episode of The Quarterly Report. Another fun show on tap. We're going to be talking about NBA rankings. Like, each year, different publications come up with their NBA rankings, like the top 100 players of the league. And every year, people get upset. But I'm going to give you guys caution, right, and understand what people are trying to do when they come up with these rankings and how your frustrations, especially online and with social media, are playing right into these people's hands. Don't want to miss that. And also, my guy and brand new father, Travis Thomas, is going to make a return to the quarterly report as we talk about the biggest Saturday night of the year. And that's where we're going to start things off with our number one topic this week. The saying goes, there is no such thing as a sure thing. And as fans of sports, we know this all too well, right? Two years ago, no one could have told me that the 73-win Golden State Warriors would not win the championship, let alone blow a three games to one lead to the Cleveland Cavaliers. You couldn't tell me that that was going to happen. You know, 10 years or so ago, no one would have told me that the undefeated Patriots would lose to the New York Giants and Eli Manning of all teams in the Super Bowl. You couldn't tell me any of these things. So, again, we all understand that there is no such thing as a sure thing, and especially when it comes to sports. However, let me tell you guys that this Saturday night is the lone exception because I am sure, I am confident, I am certain that Gennady Golovkin versus Saul Alvarez will be nothing short of an amazing fight. I mean, I can't wait. I've been waiting for this dream match for years, for years. And there was a point where I thought it was going to go the road or the way of so many other big-time fights where it absolutely happens, but it happens when both fighters are far past their primes, right? Or when the demand isn't nearly at its apex. Similar to what happened with Floyd and Pacquiao, hell, when Floyd and Pacquiao fought, I didn't even watch that fight because I had no interest. I knew I knew what was going to happen. I knew how the fight was going to go. I knew Pacquiao wouldn't touch Floyd, and I knew Floyd would win in a decision in a boring fight. But here's the beauty of Canelo Golovkin. It's a 50-50. I have no idea who's going to win. And I'll talk about predictions later in the show with my guest, Travis, but it's a it's a real it's a literal 50-50 split. Like I have no idea. If you told me that Golovkin wins by decision, I'd be like, okay. And if you told me that, you know, Canelo would win by a decision, I'd be just as, you know, wouldn't be as surprised. I wouldn't be surprised at all, right? I'd be just as kind of, okay, sure, that could happen. And if you told me that Golovkin knocks out Canelo, I'd be like, yeah, I can see that happening. And I could see the exact same thing happening if you told me Canelo locked out, you know, Triple G. That's the beauty of this fight. I have no idea how it's going to go. I don't know how long it's going to last. But the thing I do know is that there will be bombs thrown. This fight, I, in the hypothetical, I can't imagine. Hear me when I say this. I can't imagine, even in the hypothetical sense, how this fight underwhelms. I can't make up a way where this fight doesn't deliver. And yes, I'm a diehard boxing fan. So, you know, 
this is something that I've been wanting for years. And maybe you're not like me in that regard. Maybe you don't follow the sport like I do. But if you want to see a fight, like two guys scrap and go at it, Slim, this is the one. And not just little, you know, fill-out punches and defend. Like, you know, I talked about this in one of the earlier episodes. Floyd became so much bigger than boxing that people thought the sport was like Floyd, where guys like Golovkin, Golovkin had a 20-plus fight streak, you know, knockouts, 20 consecutive fights, 20-plus. I want to say it was like 23, 23 or 24 straight fights that ended in knockouts. Like, Golovkin doesn't play. He, he, we're not, like, I'm assuming you're not listening to me to hear X's and O's about the fight and feigning and, you know, stamina and all this other stuff, good cut man, all that stuff. No, 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 no. You're not, you're not listening to this podcast for that. I'm going to let you know that there will be haymakers thrown. Golovkin, if you've never seen him fight, he is in constant attack mode. He doesn't let up. Like, he cuts off the ring. You don't run away from him because he just stalks you. It's like watching. I know this sounds absurd, but it's like wa- watching a predator stalk its prey. He just keeps on coming. He doesn't retreat. He has a plan and he goes for it. But the beautiful thing about that is Canelo, Canelo doesn't play either. Like Canelo, you may, one could argue maybe that Canelo is, um, I guess, a more sharper boxer, even though I don't even know if that's true because Golovkin cuts off the ring and jabs maybe better than anybody. Um, but Canelo may have the the slight edge when it comes to, you know, the quote-unquote sweet science. But Canelo doesn't play. If you look at probably the last five years, like the best knockouts, the best finishes, like the hardest-looking knockouts, Canelo has at least two of them. Like, the, the way he laid down James Kirkland, the way he laid down Amir Khan is, like, un, it's like straight out of a video game. He throws haymakers, and he can box, and he doesn't retreat either. So you've got two guys with amazing power, two guys, at you know, with amazing skill, boxing skill, and two guys at the peak. Well, maybe not Canelo because Canelo is very young, but he's close. He's getting better every time he gets in the ring. So two of the best 10 boxers in the entire world going at it for titles. You know what I mean? For middleweight titles, like not paper belts, like the real deal. And I am so excited. I'm like a nine-year-old on Christmas Eve. I can't wait. I can't wait. And I don't know what you guys got playing this Saturday. But if you are even just a little bit of a casual fan, I don't make promises, especially when my hand is not in it. I'm, I have no dog in this race. But, man, I am promising you that this fight will deliver. And, you know, the, the, the fight itself is fun just to think about because you got two of the best fighters in the world, two guys who throw blows, two guys who know how to deliver and put on a performance. But now, you know, there is a, 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 a sub-level, right, another dynamic part of this fight and that's thinking of pound for pound lists because again these are two of the best fighters in the world i don't have canelo in my top five definitely have golovkin but if canelo beats golovkin how can you keep him off and not only how can you keep him out of the top five it's going to be damn hard not to put him number one 
that's how that's how amazing that's how critical this fight is on Saturday. So right now, you know, Saturday night we saw kind of like the um I guess the last hurrah for Chocolatito Roman Gonzalez, who was once considered pound for pound the best boxer, not even too long ago, like last year. But you know, he he lost in spectacular fashion. And it was kind of sad to see him lose. But one guy leaves, another guy has to take the crown. So here is Armand Lee's, you know, the quarterly reports, top five pound for pound list. As things stand, you know, kind of on the eve of this huge super fight. Number one, Andre Ward. Uh, the guy moved up two weight classes. You know, Andre Ward, and I'm a fan of Dre because, you know, the guy is just an amazing fighter. What you read about him, he's an amazing guy outside of the ring. And he has a great story. But it's important to realize that, yes, this is a huge fight in the middleweight division. But it's only happening now that Andre has left the division because Andre cleaned out the middleweight division for years, for years. And, you know, we'll talk about this a little bit later, too. The dream, the first dream fight, the real dream fight, is Gennady Golovkin versus Andre Ward. And for years, quiet is kept. You know, so many people worship at the altar of Golovkin. And I'm a huge Gennady Golovkin fan. Don't get me wrong. But this idea that, you know, nobody wants to fight Golovkin. Nobody wants to fight Gennady Golovkin, Triple G. That's not true. Andre Ward wanted to fight Golovkin. And Golovkin didn't want to do it. Because, or at least his people didn't want to do it. Because I think they knew. They knew what would have happened. And here we are a few years later. Andre Ward moves up two weight classes fights a literal monster, Sergey Kovalev, in the light heavyweight division. And he beats him twice, second time by TKO. Andre Warrior is an amazing boxer, hasn't lost in over 20 years. And he, because of what he's done, the resume, and what he had to do to be light heavyweight champ, you got to, at this point, give him the number one spot. Number two for me is tough. It was either Lomachenko or Terrence Crawford. Um, but because Bud, I want to say he's the only guy with, who's the unified champion of his entire class. And that's junior welterweight. I had to give, that was the edge that I gave for Bud to be number two. Again, he, and the thing with Terrence is the future of the sport kind of rests in his hands. And I know that sounds a bit hyperbolic, but it's true. When you think about it, Terrence Crawford has literally cleaned out the junior welterweight division. So he could move up to welterweight, which makes the most sense, right? And there, I mean, the welterweight division in boxing is the best division in the sport. I mean, just so many great, legit, great fighters. And if he were to move up to welterweight, then we're, we're basically just waiting for the next super fight. Because I've been talking to my partners about this for years, and that's Terrence Bud Crawford versus Errol Spence. Errol Spence, in my opinion, just got a belt, but in my opinion, it's clear. He's the best welterweight in the world. And if Bud moves up, Bud may be the best boxer in the world. He's not going to want to fight Errol first. He's got to get used to that weight. But if he does go up, and let's say Errol fights Manny Pacquiao, or Errol, or no, I'm sorry, Bud fights Manny Pacquiao, or Bud fights Keith Thurman, it's just a, it's just a matter of time before those two guys square off in a collision course. And that would be the next super fight. And Lord have mercy, right? But not only does Bud have the potential to move up 
he can stay at junior welterweight and maybe Lomachenko moves up. Like, there are guys, Mikey Garcia. I mean, there, there are fights to be had. It just really depends on what Bud wants to do and if there's any takers to, to get in the ring with Bud because Bud is a monster. Like, that guy is the real deal. So the future of the sport in many ways rests, you know, no pun intended, in Terrence Crawford's hands, gloves, rather. And for that reason and because he's unified and completely dominated an entire class, I go with Terrence Crawford number two, which means Lomachenko was number three. And Lomachenko, I haven't seen anything confirmed, but all the rumors, everything looks to be like there's a Lomachenko Riganow December showdown at the end of the year. And if we end 2017 with Lomachenko, my third pound for pound best fighter in the world, and Guillermo Riganow, my fifth pound for pound best fighter in the world, if those two guys finally get in the ring, oh my gosh. I mean, I can't think of a, of, of a better way to end the year of 2017 because this has been an amazing year of boxing. So I told you number one, two, three, and five. Number four is Gennady Golovkin. And if Gennady Golovkin, Triple G, beats Canelo on Saturday, and especially if he does it in dramatic fashion, which Golovkin is known to do, he says it himself. He calls it the big drama show. Whenever he steps in the ring, slim. He may be that top guy. He may be the top dog. And that's the beautiful thing about Saturday night. We got two of the best. Two of the best. But not only are they the best, but they're exciting fighters. And if you're even thinking about getting in the fight, look, again, I got no, doesn't doesn't move me one way or the other. But if on Saturday night you're looking for something to do and you want to be entertained, I promise you, there are not that many things that not many things I can think of that will deliver more than Triple G Kanani Golovkin. All right, guys, that's the first quarter. I'm still Armand Lee, and you're still listening to the Quarterly Report. Make sure you follow the show on Twitter. We're at Quarterly, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E show. And slight reminder, Saturday night, I will be live tweeting the Gennady Golovkin-Canelo Alvarez fight from that account. So if you're not able to watch the fight, or if you are watching the fight and you want to kind of get in touch with me and see how I'm thinking and see what I, I feel about the fight, Make sure you follow the show's Twitter account because that's where I'll be Saturday night. All right, guys, so that's boxing. Y'all know how much I love the sweet science, but I also love to talk about things outside the sports universe on this show, and we're going to do that with our second topic this week. Second quarter. Okay, I'm finally perfect, you know? Y'all already know what it is, and if you don't, then the great many fresh will enlighten you. Ladies and gentlemen, Oh, come on, that's what it is. Hey, I can do this all day. That's what you better do. That's what it is. Ah, oh, this is my joint back in the day, yeah. And for those of you who don't know, that was the sounds of Lil Wayne. The song was called This Is The Carter. And we start the segment, we start this quarter off with that because this past Saturday, you know, I'm on Twitter, you know, doing my thing, checking what I got to check out, getting ready for college football Saturday, getting ready to, you know, chill with my little girl and get ready to watch the, uh, you know, women's finals of the U.S. Open. So, you know, all these things going on real quick before my daughter and I get out there and, you know, do what we do on our Saturday mornings. 
make take a real quick look at Twitter to see what's popping. And DJ Academics, apparently, for whatever reason, I guess it probably was like the anniversary. You know how things go. Like if an album drops on a certain day, you know, five years later or however many years later, you know, people start talking about it. So DJ Academics came out and was like, yo, the Carter 3 isn't a classic. The Carter 2 is. And somehow that sparked like an entire debate. My timeline was everybody was like, yo, the Carter 3 is a classic. The, tar- car- the Carter 3 is phenomenal. It changed music, yada, 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 yada. And then I was like, okay, y'all got to chill with the whole it changed music narrative, right? The Carter 3, I wasn't really a big fan of it. But, you know, that was kind of like toward the end of me really being like a, a, a hip-hop head for real. I'm 34 years old. I'll be 35 at the end of the year. So, you know, I got a few more months left in my in being in the Target demo. But as, you know, I'm making my swan song, you know what I mean, and saying my for, farewell to being in the Target demo, the 18 to 34-year-old, you know, Target range, uh, I've, I've kind of grown comfortable in being a curmudgeon. You know what I'm saying? Like, the music that I like now, especially when it comes to rap, right? But the music, the rap, the hip-hop I like is the hip-hop I've liked since I was, like, you know, a teenager of 20s. You know what I'm saying? I'm not, I'm not listening to the new stuff like I, I used to. You know, there are a few people, few people that I, I check out that are new. You know what I'm saying? But by and large, you know, I'm still on the outcast. I still rocking clips. You know what I mean? Jay-Z, Nas, um, you know, I like Crit. Big Crit is one of the newer guys that I really feel. But, you know, most most of it, I'm like, I like what I like now, and I'm not really going to move off that. So the Carter and Lil Wayne, it kind of happens right in my wheelhouse because that's when I, that was like the last era of, rap that I was really, really on. So when I saw, you know, people come into the defense of the Carter 3, I was like, man, y'all tripping. The Carter 3 was cool. I mean, it was all right. The Carter 3 was like when you're really, really hungry and for whatever reason you got a taste for like fast food, whether it's Burger King or McDonald's, whatever the case, whatever you like, whatever you eat. So you just got a taste for it because you're hungry. But then later on, after a few hours have passed, you feel like crap. Because it wasn't, it was just like a quick itch, but it wasn't anything satisfying. That's what the Carter 3 was. Carter 3 is fast food. But I also took offense to what academics said because he said Carter 2 was the classic. And that was like the best of the Little Wayne Carter. So anytime anyone ever gets into, you know, the Carter debate or a Little Wayne debate, it's always the Carter 2. And then sometimes, depending on who you're talking to and depending on their age, how young they are, it'll be the Carter 3. The Carter 3, I think, probably sold the most records. The Carter 2 was when a lot of people, especially people in New York in the, the North Re- northeast region, excuse me, of the country finally took notice of Lil Wayne. Like, oh, Lil Wayne can actually rap. But everybody, everybody who knows even a little something about Wayne and rap knows that the best Carter, the classic Carter album, isn't the Carter 2. It isn't the Carter 3. And that's where I stopped listening. Everybody knows, just like with everything, the best is the original. And the original, the song that we led into with the intro, was the original, the Carter album. I mean, I I, I get 
I get offended. Like this bothers me deeply because I've 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 felt this way since the Carter Two came out. And I feel like the Carter One because so many people, so many people, and not in the region I live in, right? I live in D.C., the Maryland area. It's born in Richmond, you know what I mean? So like people in the Mid Atlantic is what they call it, and people below, you know, in the South, they know what time it is. You know, when the first Carter came out, that joint was. I call it like one of the newer classics. You know what I mean? Especially with hip hop. You know, we, we all know the, the real classics. Ready to Die, Reasonable Doubt. You know what I'm saying? Equimini, Riding Dirty. Those type of things. Put them on. Their jerseys are hanging in the rafters. Hall of Famers, first ballot. But then I'm talking about like the newer, like past 2001. Blueprint is a, also a classic. But like the newer, newer ones. Trap music comes to mind. Lord Willing. You know what I'm saying? And the Carter, the first Carter is right up there, man. I love that junk. But I feel so many people, either they didn't hear it initially when the first Carter came out. You know, they may, maybe they heard the Carter 2 first. Or they just had their own preconceived notion on Wayne saying like, oh, Wayne can't spit. But as I was saying, the original is always, or nine times out of ten, the original is always the best. That one exception is Terminator 2. The first Terminator is not better than the Terminator 2. But anything else, no matter what you come up with, the original is always the best. So many people love The Godfather Part 2, including myself. Right? The movie is very ambitious. They talk about the story of, of how Don uh, Corleone came into power and how his story of him coming to, the, to America while it goes to present day and Mike and his issues with the family and how he's trying to, you know, keep things together, even though his his immediate family, you know, his wife and his kids and, you know, his extended family with his brother. Everything's kind of falling apart and how Mike just kind of grows into, you know, the Don Corleone status himself. Godfather 2 is an amazing movie. Love it. It's not better than the first Godfather. I don't care what any of y'all say. It's not. And y'all know it's not, man. Stop playing. It's just like the Carter 2. The Carter 2 is dope. Don't get me wrong. I love the Carter 2. It's really, really good. It's not a classic, though. And it damn sure ain't better than the first Carter. And you know what bothers me when people who act like the Carter 2 is better than the first Carter? They're always bombers from New York. Or like maybe Jersey or somewhere northeastern part of the country. Or people who want to act like they're from New York. The worst kind of people in the world not new yorkers but people not from new york who want to act like they're from new york it's 90 it's 90 degrees outside in the summer in dc and you rocking tims sit your ass down man y'all y'all know how it is and because the carter two has a real distinct kind of new york feel about it you know what i mean i feel like people kind of gravitate to the carter two from if that's the type of music you like but man listen to the first carter Manny Fresh got down. I'm not even talking about the lyrics at this point. Because the best thing about the first Carter is that Wayne's lyrics are at such a high level. Like, people forget. Remember Bama's thought that Wayne had a ghostwriter? The dude, um, Gilly from Philly. Gilly the Kid, Major Figures. They thought he was writing his rhymes because everybody's like, yo, Wayne can spit. Like, where did this come from? But Bama said, Bama's who was listening to Wayne I already knew that he was rapping and that he was already kind of growing into himself. Like when the Carter dropped, I think Wayne was like 20, 21. You know what I'm saying? He, Wayne had been rapping so long. Like Wayne has been rapping since I was like in middle school, bro. 
So, of course, you know, if you do something long enough, as you get older, you're going to get better at it. You know what I mean? But Wayne was spitting. He was spazzing on the Carter. Like, we all know that. But what makes the Carter so much better than the Carter 2 is not only is Wayne spitting, but the music. You can put the Carter on and just have a party. And no one can hear what he's saying, but just everybody's moving. You know what I mean? So when the lyrics and the music kind of meet at a high level, I mean, how could it not be a classic? And that's what separates the first Carter to the second Carter for me. No, I know all y'all New Yorkers. And I feel like so many people probably heard the Carter 2 after they heard the Carter 1. So the, the Carter 2 kind of, because, you know, it was more popular. He had the song with Robin Thicke. People was like, oh, man, this is the way he can rap. He had the co-sign with Jay-Z, the whole thing. So, you know, Batman's from New York. They they put in there, you know, their Wu-Tang. And, you know, what's happening, B? And they like that, you know, and that's cool. I'm not knocking it. But Slim, don't tell me the Carter 2 is better than the Carter 1. And if anybody ever jumped out their mouth and said that the Carter 3 was better than the Carter 1, I mean, number one, I know they're a child. So I don't even continue the conversation. I give them a little box of Juicy Juice and tell them to go play on the, on the jungle gym. Go climb the monkey bars because they're, they're not ready to have an adult conversation. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I had to get that off my chest because Saturday... You know when you really are bothered by something that you see or maybe like something that you hear and you walking around the house and you like picking up or cleaning around the house and you talking to yourself because you just got to get it out. That's what I was doing on Saturday. I was certifiably crazy because that bothered me. Like I'm telling you for real. The Carter one is one of my favorites ever. My favorites ever. And it's always slept on because the Carter two and the Carter three that, you know, came after it. But make no mistake. Whether it's DJ Academics or your friend on the street or if you're in a barbershop or if you're at a party or whatever, cookout, the real ones know what time it is when it comes to what is the best Lil Wayne album, what is the best Carter album. It's the Carter one. All right, guys, y'all heard the horn. Thank you for letting me indulge on that, man. I don't know about you guys, but my favorite segments that we do on the Quarterly Report are the, are the segments that have nothing to do with sports. I'm being dead ass. Whether it's me talking about the top movies that are rewatchable, or you know what, in a few weeks, in a few episodes down the line, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do I'm gonna do something on the wire, cause I love that show to death. I told y'all I'm a I'm a curmudgeon. You know what I mean? Shout out to Walter Matthau, John Lemon, rest in peace, man. But grumpy old men out here, baby. I'm setting my ways. I know what I like, and I'm not changing up anymore. The Wire, no matter what other TV show that comes out, nothing's better than The Wire. You know what I'm saying? That's what I am. Get off my lawn. But, yo, those are the topics that I love the most. I'd rather talk about that than, than the NBA or the NFL. You know what I'm saying? So let me know whether you guys like those topics or not. I mean, I love y'all for listening, but I'm not going to stop doing it. But maybe there's some advice or something that you want me to talk about. TV shows or what's coming on the fall lineup or if there's a new album that you like or whatever. Let me know. Interact with the show. All you got to do is email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. Again, email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. That's quarterly spelled Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E. Also, follow the show on Twitter. We're at quarterly. Again, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E show. And 
Search for us and subscribe to the iTunes or subscribe to the podcast, excuse me, on iTunes. Again, search for the show quarterly, the quarterly report spelled Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E. You'll see the image with my face on the coin. Click on it, subscribe, and while you're at it, rate and review the show. Now, I got to talk to you guys about halftime. I'm going to set it up. Before Tuesday, you know, before Tuesday, I had an idea what I was going to do with halftime. I was kind of excited. You know, it was going to, it was going to be the second installment of, you know, the uh, you're out of, you know, you know what's to give. We did it earlier in the summer with Kyrie Irving. I thought it was pretty funny. Got some good reaction to it. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to do that. I'm going to bring that back for this week's show. But then Sunday morning happened, and um, or not Sunday, Tuesday morning happened, and it was such a glorious day. I don't know how well you guys follow politics, but Senator Ted Cruz made all the rounds Tuesday morning for all the wrong reasons. Now, not to editorialize too much, uh, I'm not the biggest Ted Cruz fan. In fact, I couldn't disagree with Ted Cruz more you know, pretty much everything not even pretty much on everything but tuesday morning i don't know how someone discovered it but they did that senator cruz liked a uh a porno scene <laughs> you know what i'm saying and not even to judge the man on you know him liking porn because you know that's the realest thing about ted cruz like you know who can relate to that he likes that's fine. I got no problem with that. Him liking porn. All right, bet. That's fine. I don't know why you're liking scenes on Twitter, <laughs> but clearly he forgot that his account is public so people can know everything that he likes and retweets or whatever. So putting the hypocrisy of Ted Cruz to the side, because again, if you don't know much about him, he's really big on telling others what to like what not to like, how they should express themselves, not just sexually, but anyway, you know, he's one of those type of guys. And when you look at Cruz or when you hear him before this, you kind of get the the feeling that he's just a dickhead. Like he's a jerk, right? He's just like, Yo, what's wrong with this guy? His college roommate hates his guts. He's talking all these evil things about the guy saying how he's like one of the worst humans alive. And you just, without the proper context, you look at him, you're like, man, what's wrong with him? But now after Tuesday happened, right? And the light was shown, shown on him. It all makes sense. Ted Cruz is surly. Ted Cruz is a jerk because he's sexually repressed. <laughs> it all makes sense. Think about the people who are always agitated around you, right? The people in your life, whether it's your boss or a friend or whatever. Think about it. They're probably the ones who are not getting any. It makes perfect sense. So Tuesday morning, I was like, no, nah, I got to change up. I now know what I have to do for halftime. So I'm rolling out a brand new segment, debuting it right here on the Quarterly Report, 23rd episode. Because just like so many other things, something can happen in the real world, but it makes perfect sense in the sports world too. Because we all know players, coaches, commentators, who are the biggest assholes in the world. And you may be like, why are you such an ass? Well, now we know. 
these guys, these players, these coaches, these analysts, they're assholes because they're not getting in the ass. So with that as the backdrop, with that as the context, ladies and gentlemen, I present to you the first ever Miso Horny All-Stars. This week's inductee, Notre Dame football head coach, Ryan Kelly. Obviously, you've made a ton of changes, changed the culture, everything. But obviously, you lost in, at the very end, kind of like last year, seven of eight losses. How do you what, what's the question? What's the I'm question? getting to it. Uh, well, do, get to the question. How do you keep this from snowballing? It's like not going to snowball. Year? Next question. Well, what, is, what exactly will be different, I, I guess? There's nothing different. I, I go to work every day, and I coach my football team. Okay. Is that is that good enough for you? Yes, I was just asking about the how it, it was different from last year's losing by one possession. Okay. And tonight was also like that, so I was just wondering. Losing by one possession? Yes. No, it was one point. Okay. Okay, great, thanks. Somebody give Brian Kelly some ass so he can stop acting like one. That was this week's Me So Horny All-Star. I can't stand people like that. Like, just because you ain't getting any, don't mean you got to take it out on everybody else. Man, handle that <laughs> You know what I'm saying? You get better. You know? Talk to people. You know, you got to fix that. Don't take it out on anybody else. And again, Senator Ted Cruz showed that him liking porn scenes, right, on Tuesday morning made all the sense in the world. Like, that's why he's so... You know, cantankerous. That's why he's so nasty. And Brian Kelly, right? Every offseason, every offseason, he talks about, yeah, man, I'm getting better. I'm going to do this better. I'm working on myself. And then every year, every year, he's either ripping up his players on the sidelines, embarrassing his players, you know, in the postgame press conference, and trying to embarrass members of the media as well. Slim, you're not even winning games anymore. Like, why do you feel so comfortable going at other people? And it makes perfect sense. He's going at everybody else because nobody's going at him. <laughs> Sorry, ass Brian Kelly. I can't stand him, man. Anyway, man, hopefully you guys enjoyed that halftime. I know I enjoyed making it because I can't stand that Bama, and I haven't heard me so horny in forever. But halftime adjustments have been made. We're not looking in the past anymore. We're only focusing on finishing up strong. We got two quarters left, starting with the third quarter as I welcome in my partner, my homeboy, and brand new father, Travis Thomas. You can listen to my next guest Saturday afternoons on 106.7 The Fan in the D.C. area, and you'll be able to catch him all over the airwaves on CSM in Atlantic in the not-too-distant future. My guy, for real, my brother, the guy who introduced me to the radio slash podcasting world and brand new father himself, Travis Thomas. Trav, what's going on, bro? Hey, Lee, man. You know, it's always a pleasure to be on with you. And I built my whole brand on energy. But these days, being a new father, I got to tell you, man, my I'm running on E, man. My, my I'm on fumes, man. My man does not sleep at night. So I'm yeah. a little tired. But I'm still going to bring it for you, though. Hey, Slim, I know all too well what you talking about i remember those days vividly <laughs> but as long as you're not falling asleep this saturday night because this is why we're talking this is why you're here to break down the fight between 
Canelo Alvarez, and Gennady Golovkin. Um, you know, you and I, as well as our friend Daisy, we've been talking about this fight for years. But now that we're like days away, you know what I mean? We're right at the doorstep of this fight. Let me know your thoughts on the buildup, how it's been kind of um, how it's positioned, and what you expect come Saturday night. Oh, well, as far as the buildup, this fight sells itself. So, I mean, I when you look at, let's just <laughs> rewind a few weeks to the McGregor-Floyd fight. Everyone knew that wouldn't be competitive. Uh, it turned out to be entertaining and somewhat competitive. But, you know, everyone knew that was kind of a, a, a circus. And right. so because of that, you almost had to dial up the promotion of the fight, especially with those two's uh, personalities. You had to dial it up more to actually sell it to the people who thought, well, maybe McGregor has a shot, and that's what they sold you. Um, true, true boxing people knew what it was, and pretty much the fight went the way we thought it would. For this, for this fight, I really don't even think, you know, you really need promotion. I mean, in a lot of ways, your casual fan would rather watch a Mayweather-McGregor because they know who they are. Most casual fans have no clue who Triple G is, and I would say half of your casual fans maybe have heard of Canelo, and that's only because they went somewhere and watched him lose to Floyd. So, you know, in my mind, this is more of our style of fight. And when I say our, I'm referring to your boxing purist like yourself and, and me. Um, and that's going to sell itself. So this fight in and of itself is going to do numbers because guys like us are going to buy it. As far as the fight itself, I mean, look, this, to me, reminds me a lot. And, Armand, we're the same age. This reminds me a lot of those Hearns, right. Sugar Ray Leonard fights back in the day where you knew, you just knew it was going to be fireworks. There was no way on earth this could be a dud. There's just no way. You didn't know who was going to sleep, but you know someone was going to sleep. And I believe that's going to be the same for this fight. You haven't asked me my prediction yet, so I won't give it to you. But we know someone's going night-night. Oh, man, talk about segue. That boy, good. But before we get to that question, I'm once again joined by my guy, my brother for real, Travis Thomas. Make sure you follow him on all your social media outlets at Travis Thomas Experience. He's really fun, really smart, and he's all over the place. Bunny Star, make sure y'all follow him at Travis Thomas Experience on all your different social media outlets. But, okay, you led, about, you led up to it with about the predictions. I know myself, I've changed – my mind on who I thought would win at least 10 times in the last month. So I'll ask the question to you and then I'll answer it myself. Who do you think will win this Saturday night? Well, I know we're going to disagree because we have been waiting for this fight for years and you know where I'm going. Uh, <laughs> look, I I'm telling you right now, you're not going to find a bigger Canelo fan than me. I actually uh, started liking him before he got the Floyd fight. And liked him so much that when he got the Floyd fight, I thought it's too soon. He's going to get outclassed. The guy has heart. He could eventually beat Floyd, but this is too soon. I was absolutely right. But what I didn't see was that Floyd fight would really make him into a, a boxing uh, bona fide star. Because even in the loss, he had a good showing. Uh, he did show the heart. He did show the toughness and the grit. And you could see the room for growth. 
since that fight, he has been unbelievable. And it reminds me of a video game for anyone who's ever played franchise mode when your players progress every offseason and they get a little bit better and they get a little bit better. And then in the primes of their career, they're 99 overall and you're winning championships. That's Canelo's career to me. We've literally watched this guy progress. And I got news for you. He's at a 99. And if you look on the other side of him, uh, Triple G, I think, is on the decline. You look at his last few fights, I thought that Danny Jacobs' fight should have been a draw. Uh, I thought Kell Brook actually looked pretty good against him. He was just a much smaller guy and just could not take the punishment. But uh, he was... Truth be told, Kell was winning. You know what I mean? He was beating Golovkin. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I, I got uh, I got Canelo stopping Triple G late in this fight. Maybe yeah. even, I, to tell you the truth, Armand, I could see a scenario where Canelo maybe gets knocked down early, feels that power, says, I'm okay, gets a, gets a uh, you know, count to about six or seven, ref says, you good, he says, I'm good, wipes the gloves off, and then proceeds to outclass Triple G and stops him late. Oh, man. So, uh, yeah, we're going to disagree. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, um, I'm reminded, you know, I think, let me put it like this. I definitely think Canelo can beat Golovkin. And I told the guys, I told everyone listening earlier, I think it's a 50-50 uh, proposition of who wins this fight. I mean, he's really that close. However, what worries me, and I'll, and I'll give you a, uh, an example from uh, recent history, is that Canelo, he's got, he's got that fighter in him. And what I mean by that is some fighters are perfectly fine sticking to a strict game plan, sticking and moving, moving around the ring, jabbing, using a jab, staying away from harm's way, and not getting in any type of prolonged exchange or trading, right? And when I think of Canelo and what he needs to do to beat Golovkin, I'm reminded, and I guess we're we're going back like eight, nine years now, but when Pacquiao fought Miguel Cotto, and Miguel, the first part of the fight, he was looking so sharp. He was he was disciplined. He sticked to their game plan. He moved. He worked the body. He used the jab. He didn't stay in front of Pacquiao, and he didn't exchange. But at some point, and Miguel is just like Canelo, and a lot of fighters have it. It's like this, I don't know what it is, if it's machismo, whatever you want to call it. They, at some point, the game plan be damned. They exchange, and they start fighting. You know what I mean? And Cotto did it with Pacquiao, and that was his undoing. And I worry for Canelo fans, there's going to be a point where Canelo, maybe it's round three, maybe it's round four, but at some point, he's going to want to get in there and exchange with Golovkin. And I don't know if there's a person on this planet who can just stand toe-to-toe and slug it out with Golovkin. Yeah, I agree with you. And, and to be honest, I think most people picking Triple G have that analysis. And you're absolutely right. The, the, the only place I feel as though we fundamentally disagree is Canelo's going to have to trade with him at some point. If Look, assuming this goes 12 rounds, right? It's, it's absurd. Floyd, at his most defensive, most disciplined, there are moments in fights he has to trade with you because that way you know you just can't walk him down. He has to make you respect him at some point. I believe Canelo will be disciplined enough 
to trade with Triple G and get the hell out of there. I do right. not think this will be a machismo. I'm going to stand in the middle of the ring, and we're going to bang out until someone goes to sleep. I think there's going to be moments when Canelo will have to literally stand there and bang with Triple G to let him know, I've put on this weight. It's taken me. i got to tell you something. I believe this fight has taken so long to make happen because Canelo knows he needed to get bigger. He needed to get stronger. He needed some more fights under his belt. And I also think no one's talking about the age difference here. He has watched Triple G. He played the Floyd move. He's watched Triple G. He's starting to see the age. He's starting to see the slightest deterioration. And meanwhile, he's trending up physically, mentally, uh, and he knows the time is now. And I'm, I got to tell you something. He's going to beat Triple G, and this will cement his legacy, and it will put a big question mark on Triple G's legacy. Once again, I'm joined by a friend of the program, man, really family, my guy, Travis Thomas. Make sure you listen to him Saturdays on 106.7 The Fan, and he'll be all over CSM in Atlantic in the upcoming weeks, man. Really some exciting stuff that he's got coming down the pike. And also make sure you follow him on all your social media outlets at Travis Thomas Experience. All right, so Trav, get you out of here with this last question. And um, you kind of alluded to it as you finished your last uh, response. Um, the legacy, right? And uh, how if Canelo were to be Golovkin, this could catapult him into another realm of superstardom. And a loss may hurt Golovkin. Um, and I guess kind of his credibility because he really, up until his last two fights, hadn't fought anyone. Now, you know, uh, recently there, there's been a lot of uh, real interesting and uh, compelling pieces on Golovkin because he's such an exciting fighter. And as a Golovkin fan, I'm kind of torn because while I love seeing him fight, he's the most exciting fighter I've seen as an adult. There is a part of me that gets annoyed at kind of this hype, the hero worship that goes on with Golovkin. Uh, you hear the narrative all the time. Nobody wants to fight Gennady Golovkin. He's the most ducked fighter in the world, yada, yada, yada. But as we sit here just a few days before a super fight, we were cheated out of a super fight that we should have seen like two years ago between Andre Ward and Gennady Golovkin. And those of you who don't know, Andre Ward, again, I talked about pound for pound list earlier. He's the best fighter in the world, in my opinion. He was a middleweight. He should have fought Golovkin earlier, but Golovkin's people, they were playing around, messing around, and playing these games. So why do you feel, and that doesn't even take into consideration Arizlani Lara, someone that Canelo fought that Golovkin chose not to fight. So why do you feel like so many people, even I mean, from diehards to people on the national scale, the media, why do so many people worship at the altar of Golovkin? Well, I think, look, we've seen it. Again, same age, grown up, same era. We both remember Iron Mike Tyson. And we I'm not talking Mike Tyson. I'm talking Iron Mike Tyson. Right. Before prison, Mike Tyson. Kid Dynamite, Mike Tyson. Yeah, I ain't talking Francois Botha, Mike. I'm talking Iron Mike. Right. And, look, I think Triple G, in a lot of ways, is the closest thing to that that we've seen. Now, obviously, we've seen exciting fighters come and go in that in that time. Uh, let's just take someone that comes to mind, Roy Jones Jr. 
Roy right. Jones was not knocking guys' heads off. He was so fast. He was so skilled. He made guys look stupid. He was a yeah. showman. We've seen a ton of showmen. We've seen a defensive master like like Floyd Mayweather. But I do not think since Iron Mike have we seen a guy literally knock people's heads off of their body. Triple right. G, up until recently, has done just that. And I do think there's a correlation between age and step-up in competition as to why heads are not rolling so I think that's where that's where the hero worship has come in for Triple G because he brings that Iron Mike type excitement. I know that's one of the reasons you like him. It's one of the reasons I like him. But I just my whole knock on him this whole reign has been, and, and you know my statement: you're fighting Uber drivers. I want to see you <laughs> fight real people. And every time he's had a chance to fight real guys, it's always some excuse. And he called out Canelo, who's a smaller guy. And, and right. it's just like, why don't you fight Andre Ward? Andre Ward will fight you, right. and he wouldn't do it. So, to me, I think that's where the worship comes from is his style of fighting. And, and I, I will give him all the props in the, wor- in the world for that because, you know, look, he, he knocks blocks off, man. He knocks yeah. blocks off, and he deserves credit for that. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, that's my guy, my brother for real, Travis Thomas. Make sure you follow him on all your different social media outlets at Travis Thomas Experience. If you're in the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area, listen to my guy Saturday afternoons on 106.7 The Fan, and he'll be all over the place on CSN Mid-Atlantic in the weeks to come. Travis Thomas, one of the best sports minds in the world right now. Thank you so much for joining me on The Quarterly Report. Hey, bro, uh, next time I come on, I want to talk. I, I really have a lot to get off my chest about Kyrie Irving, so I would love to uh, come on before the NBA season. Oh, well, say no more. You already know what time it is. The NBA season is just a few weeks away, so before the start of the next season, we'll definitely have you back on, and uh, you can, uh, I guess, unleash on Kyrie Irving. All right, brother. I appreciate you, man. All right, Trav. Thanks again, bro. Listen, y'all, I can't tell you how excited I am about Saturday night. I really can't. I can't overstate my excitement. Again, like I said earlier, it's a kid on Christmas Eve. I really can't wait. Once again, make sure you follow the show on Twitter, Quarterly Show, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E Show. Saturday night, I'll be live tweeting the fight. I can't wait. Another thing I can't wait about is our final quarter this week. Let's wrap things up with these rankings that seemingly get everyone upset. Fourth quarter. Every single year. Every single year. ESPN and Sports Illustrated come out with their rankings of the top 100 NBA players or the top, or they rank every NBA player uh, from like 400 and whatever to number one. And of course, every year they make fools of themselves and people go out of their way to criticize, critique, rip each publication. And I can't lie, I have done this in the past several times. But this year, you know, I'm a little bit older, a little bit wiser, and I've peeped game. I've long since peeped game. And anyone who has ever worked in any form of media, whether it's print, television, digital, radio, whatever the case, you know, you know, you... I guess some places try to keep whatever shred of integrity you can have. But ultimately, we're moving to a place where 
it doesn't matter what people say about you as long as they are saying something about you. And I've finally just, I've just tapped out on this stuff because every year, every year, they have something on these rankings where you're just like, okay, do you even watch basketball? Again, y'all know I live right outside of D.C., Prince George's County, Largo, Maryland. Shout out. And uh, I remember a few years back when the Wizards traded for Markeith Morris. And I was going back and forth with a guy I respect. I'm not going to say his name. I ain't trying to call him out, but he knows who he is. And he was telling me how Markeith Morris was this really, really good basketball player. And, you know, he's amazing. And it's the best thing that could have happened to the Wizards. Yada, yada, yada. And forget about trading a pick. Because ultimately, that pick may not have may not turn into a rotational NBA player. But I'm I'm of the mind that if you're not going for a championship, like if you're not a legit title contender, trading away a pick routinely is not really a smart smart thing to do because it's cheap labor. If nothing else, it's cheap labor. But one of the reasons why I was not a big Marquise Boris fan and still. I'm still not a Marquise Morris fan because he hasn't really been a productive player. But in defense of this trade, the guy I was arguing arguing with sent me a link to this Sports Illustrated, you know, top 100 players in the NBA. And he had Marquise Morris like, you know, 60 something like, yeah, they just traded a pick for one of the 60 best players in the league. And it literally took me two seconds to to completely disprove that entire list and really Sports Illustrated from a basketball NBA perspective because Marquise Morris, like I said, he was in the 60s somewhere. This is just two years ago, two years ago, you know, at the time of the Marquise Morris trade. And 99 on that list, right? The 99th player in their estimation was a guy who some of you all may know he goes by the name of Giannis Antetokounmpo, or the Greek Freak. Now, at the start of the season two years ago, Giannis was not nearly as good as he is now. I'm not saying that. But I'll be damned if Marquise Morris was ever better, ever better at basketball than the Greek Freak. It's never happened. And the fact that they had him like 99th, Sports Illustrated. I was like, yo, what, what are y'all talking about? Again, this wasn't his rookie year. It wasn't even his second year. I think it was the start of his third year. It was obvious Giannis, at that point, was a top 20, top 25 player. Now Giannis is a top 10 player, and I, God, God only knows whether I have him now. And that's just Sports Illustrated. ESPN, and yes, full disclosure, I am a Nick fan. But it's also important, and if you know me, you know this about me. I do not like Carmelo Anthony. I don't care what he does from this point forward. I do not like Melo. Haven't liked Melo in years. I was blown at Melo as opposed to signing as a free agent, forced to trade to New York because we had to trade Ill Wilson Chandler and Danilo Gallinari, two of my favorite players, and picks. So at that point, I was always blown at Melo. However, and let me also say this. Lonzo Ball is going to be an amazing NBA player. I am certain. I am certain of it. If he can stay healthy, he's going to be a fantastic player. But it's hard for anyone to tell me 
that before he even steps on the floor, Lonzo hasn't played a second of professional NBA basketball guy or basketball versus other men, right, who have contracts. He was playing up against rookies and guys trying to make a roster. There's a difference between D-League and the actual real deal. The fact that ESPN says that Lonzo Ball, without playing a second of real NBA basketball, is already better than Carmelo Anthony is laughable. And this is coming from someone who doesn't like Melo. I couldn't believe it. I was like, yo, are y'all serious? Melo was like 64? Go ahead and tell me there's 63 basketball players in the NBA right now better than Carmelo Anthony. Are you serious? And then both Sports Illustrated and ESPN had Hassan Whiteside in the 30s. <laughs> I mean, what? What are you guys talking about? Did anyone watch Miami last year? I mean, they had nobody. They had Deion Waiters, James Johnson, and a washed Gordon Dragic. Who actually, Dragic had a pretty good year last year. I'm not going to lie. But he was hurt. All these guys dealt with injuries. Whiteside was the best player on that team, and they went 41-41 and 41 in the Eastern Conference without no real number two option. And y'all telling me that he's the 30-some-odd best player in the league? Oh, my gosh. So even talking about it, I can feel that agitation rising. You know what I mean? But that's exactly what they want. That's exactly what they want. And look, I've already taken the bait. Look, I'm, I'm talking to you guys about it right now. But moving forward, because there was this big online buzz about Carmelo. Like, Carmelo has somehow turned into a sympathetic figure. I don't know how he played it. I mean, well, thanks in large part to Phil Jackson being a complete asshole. But over the last, like, six months, Carmelo Anthony has turned into this sympathetic figure. Despite the fact that everything that has happened to him, both professionally and personally, that has taken a, a turn for the worse, it is his own fault, right? Melo knew the Knicks was some trash when he resigned, but he wanted his bread. Melo knew when he forced the trade way back when that he was basically stripping down the team. But he didn't care. He wanted his bread. Well, you made your bed. You got to lay in it, right? And I know I sound like a scoring Nick fan. I sound that way because I am a scoring Nick fan. But I digress. The reason Sports Illustrated and ESPN keep on making these bum-ass lists is because it gets them attention. And yes, I have fed into it this year. I fed into it last year. But let's make a declaration now. What is as today? Uh, by the time you guys are listening to this, it'll be September 14th, 2007. No more will we accept this foolishness. No more will we tweet about it and send emails about it and send links and text about it and call in radio so, uh, shows. Or if you have a podcast like myself, spend 10 or so minutes talking about how trash it is because they know it's trash. Now, it's not trash to the point. They'll never say, like, LeBron is the 14th best player in the league, right? They wouldn't say anything like that because if they start doing that, everyone will dismiss it altogether. So you can't say, like, you know, uh, March and Gortat is better than Steph Curry because people won't take you seriously there. But if you make a bunch of dumb little declarations 
on with the the premise of being controversial or like you know starting something or you know shaking the nest up. That's what they're doing. When they say that Andre Drummond is like the 59th best player in the league, come on, bro. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, come on. Well, what are we talking about? What are we really talking about? But let's not moving forward, right? Moving forward, starting with this at this time now. Next year, they're going to make the same lists because they've gotten buzzed. They've gotten easy attention for being idiots. Let's not feed it anymore because it's clear. My guy, CJ McCollum, he was awesome, man. He sent out a tweet. He was like, you know what? From now on, I'm going to start ranking these bum-ass journalists <laughs> from, you know, worst to number one. And I was like, you know what, CJ, please do that. How awesome would that be if the if the players, no matter the sport, were like, you know what, these are the 100 worst members of the media, and they ranked them. I'd be interested in seeing where some of these guys rank. I know you would too. But – we got to be careful because nowadays it's not about good press. You know what I mean? It's not about rave reviews. It's just about clicks. It's just about attention and how these, you know, networks and magazine publications can monetize it. That's all this is now because no one, my daughter wouldn't tell you that a sound white side is the 30 some odd best player in the league. My daughter's cousin wouldn't say that Lonzo Ball, who's never played a second in the NBA, is better than an all-star. You know what I'm saying? And the only reason they make fools out of themselves, because it has to happen. Like, there has to be an agenda. What, what did we say earlier? When smart people do dumb things, it's usually because there's an agenda behind it. And the reason why they consistently make fools out of themselves Fools out of themselves. Say Giannis is the 99th best player in the league. The reason why they do this is because it gets them the attention that they crave, which ultimately ends up being more dollars in their pocket. So let's break the cycle. Of course, starting next year. <laughs> All right, guys, that's this episode of the quarterly report. I hope you guys really loved it. Hope you enjoyed it. Remember, you can email the show with your thoughts, ideas, or whatever you want to call it, criticisms, email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. Also, follow the show on Twitter. We're at Quarterly Show. Again, that's quarterly spelled Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E. -E. And look for us on iTunes. Subscribe to the show on iTunes. All you got to do is search Quarterly Report. Again, that's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E. -E. Once you see the icon, it's my face on a coin. Click on it, hit the subscribe tab, and while you're at it, rate and review the show. Please rate and review the show. Let me know what you like, what you don't like. Any and all critis criticism is welcome. All right, guys. I hope you all have a great weekend. Enjoy the fight. You know I will, and I'll see you back here next week better than ever on the Quarterly Report. <laughs>